the Cinema Time Capsule Podcast with your hosts, Child of the 80s and Dr. Retro. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Sean Springer about buddy movies from the 80s. So, thank you, Professor, and we're moving on to our next film. Child of the 80s has selected 1988's Coming to America. This film is starring little-known actor Eddie Murphy, who plays Prince Akeem. Sorry, he's not little-known. He's huge at this point. Prince Akeem is set to be married and continue his lineage as heir to the throne of Zumunda, but in the final moments before his marriage, Prince Akeem asked permission from his father, King Jaffe, to travel to America to find true love and to see how common people live. Reluctantly, King Jaffe obliges Akeem as long as he takes his trusty advisor, Simi, as well. Akeem and Simi travel to the only place in the world that seems like a good place for a royal to meet a mate, Queens, New York. Much to Simi's disappointment, Akeem declares... Uh, that to blend in, they must do away with all their wealth and live like common people. Along the way, both buddies find work at a local fast food restaurant and meet a cast of characters that have a strange resemblance to the duo. Does Akeem find true love, or does he travel back to Zamunda empty-handed? You know, I don't remember King Jaffe saying, you have to take Semi. I think he just takes them. Are you sure? I, I, I thought there was a scene where he goes, Semi, go with Prince Akeem. I bet five hundred dollars. And then he that said, "And then he Whoa. said, this is CNN.' <laughs> <laughs> At that point, Luke, I am your father." So, um, so King Jaffe is um, played by James Earl Jones. Uh, Eddie Murphy is the lead, and um, I don't know at this point. Wait, and who's the sidekick? Arsenio Hall. Ooh, 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 yeah, ooh, ooh. I don't. I was He's rotating my. Uh, that is in, uh, that's the Arsenio Hall show. So I don't true. think. Arsenio Hall was a big name until this point. No, I don't think so either. He was a stand-up. Uh, he right. hosted. He had he done guest hosting for talk shows, but uh, uh, his own talk show had not mm. debuted yet. Um, this is. Um, I had no idea that um, John Landis directed this film, so this is uh, a coincidence mm. with the two films I picked. I yeah. don't know. Maybe that's my sensibility with comedy, <laughs> um, and. The writers for this were um, Eddie Murphy, um, SNL writers. So the the, the two guys, uh, uh, David Sheffield and Barry Bluestein, had worked uh, with Eddie Murphy on SNL. And what did uh, we were talking about reviews? How did Gene Siskel feel about this film? Ooh. It's a sweet, oft-told story, and Murphy and Hall add a number of very sharp supporting roles, hidden by makeup to add spice to the general level of gentleness. And then I also put in, why is Roger Ebert always such a downer? He said this plot is so old-fashioned and hackneyed and so recycled. The energy of the film is low and lethargic. Eh, maybe he was countering Gene. It's like he watched a different movie. Out. I mean, I don't know how you can watch that movie and say it's low energy. I, I know. I don't know. Eddie Murphy is giving it all in his in that movie. He throws it. He throws yeah, it. Both off. of them they play multiple yeah. roles. Yeah. I, I was, you know, Arsenio Hall should have had a better career as as an actor. He did that kind of like embarrassing cop show, at, you know, later on in his career. Have you guys seen it? No. Don't. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I dodged know, it. But uh, you know. I guess I guess when you when you decide to become a talk show host, you you limit yeah, your options as an sure. actor. Yeah, Regis hasn't done a whole lot since. 
No, yeah. and he's he's dead. <laughs> it's going to limit his options. And Jerry Springer can't come and no, make films true. anymore now. No, so my uncle is passed away. dead as well. <laughs> um, so Jeff, <laughs> uh, Jeff, why did you choose this movie? Uh, this was a. I don't, Joel. I know you probably haven't seen it. I did not. Um, <laughs> So where was Joel in the 80s? We don't know. I was watching Disney and uh, Mutual of Omaha's we Wild We don't Kingdom. know. Okay, because this, I don't know. Simon, please tell me you saw this movie. Please. Oh, yeah. Okay. and For sure. Uh, Professor, you saw this. I saw, saw all Eddie Murphy's movies. Then. I, I've seen this movie like okay. easily 50 okay, times. Okay, so I chose this movie. See, you rewatch movies too. You, oh, yeah. You look at me like good. I was crazy if for it's good. spies like us. If it's good. Oh. <laughs> Oh, fine. <laughs> okay. Um, this movie was a massive hit in 1988. If you didn't see it or hear of it, you were locked in a cellar somewhere. How Joel, did you know? It was the first, <laughs> it was the first Eddie Murphy film that I was allowed to see in the theater. But you saw other ones at home, I'm sure. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I've seen. I saw everything. There wasn't a movie I didn't see. But it was like this was the one where like. My family's like, hey, let's go see this. It's a children's film. It's a family film. Wow. I thought it was a family film until <laughs> I rewatched it uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. It had enough family-style comedy elements to get me past the ushers, basically. Mm. It also cemented Eddie Murphy's ability to stretch his range by performing a ton of characters. Uh, and Eddie would go back to this right. format yeah. to much chagrin, I think. Um, but it worked for him in this film, so he would go back to this format, and it just sort of totally solidified him as um, a, a comedic actor that families could rally behind. Mm -hmm. So, so should this movie go into our cinema time capsule? So this movie cited as Eddie Murphy's best overall film. Beverly Hills Cop is also a great film, which I did see in on video when I was too young, eight. <laughs> Um, which I loved. I watched that on repeat too. Did you, I, Professor? I did. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, but I think Eddie Murphy is firing on all cylinders here. He's coming coming to America validates Eddie Murphy as a tour de force actor, and it just it shows that he's more than just a foul mouth shock comic, which he was in Ron Delirious, which I did not see. My parents wouldn't let me watch. Really, that. they wouldn't let you watch that. I had, yeah, Joe was swimming in the water. I didn't I, get to see that. You saw I that had, for sure. Probably. I had a birthday party where my parents uh, said, "I mean, we're going to make everyone go home if, unless you turn off Delirious." <laughs> <laughs> you had that playing at a birthday party. Yeah, and I actually, what? I actually swore at my dad. What? It's, it's, what? First, it's my first, uh, first moment of teen rebellion. Or, or, or not even teen, like for youth rebellion. How no. old were you? Uh, I was maybe like nine, and I was, and I was, wow. and I swore at my dad because I thought that Eddie Murphy was like the, the funniest person in the world. He, he was, was. Like, yeah. So your dad would just start laughing. Good one, Professor. I, <laughs> you got me. So I, yes, and so yeah, we had to turn it off, and you know, my I was not cool. Well, with in front of my friends. Well, so again, like uh, this definitely should be going in yeah. the the cinema time capsule only because it just. If any Eddie Murphy film goes in, this mm -hmm. is probably it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's my piece, Professor. What were your what were your highs and lows from this tour de force, as uh, Jeff was describing it? Uh, can I uh, just say the um, the supporting characters and John Landis' film supporting characters usually get a lot of run to be really funny, mm -hmm. and here you've got 
Like uh, the landlord is hilarious. He's awesome. You know, right. uh, damn shame what happened to that dog. You know, he takes over the hot tub, <laughs> and uh, John, the king comes in. He's like, "You are not a king." He takes it with the cigar in his mouth. He says, "I know that." Yeah. <laughs> He, do you remember? Do you know where he? What else he was? I guess most okay. famous for well, now. Well, he's in the wire. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, he's that's been, where I knew he's him in, from. Do, he's in do the right thing. He's right. Um, I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, the um, there were a I ton of all of the he's cast great. was like very popular, like long time, very yeah. successful actors. Um, damn shame what happened to that dog though. When I was a kid, I thought that was the funniest gag I'd ever seen because it was when you in the eighties, anyone that was at a crime scene would be chalked out. Right. Yeah. And then they chalked out the dog <laughs> and the blind man's cane. <laughs> I just thought it was ridiculous. And uh, when the uh, uh, the drunk falls down the stairs, he starts yelling at him, saying, you're, you're faking, you know, I, 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 rent's due, you know. Uh, that it, that just cracks me up every time. <laughs> I, 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 I watched it two days ago, and like, every scene is just is so funny. I'm, I, I, I was Glad watching it with that. my wife, and it was just, Oh my god! This scene, and then, oh my god! This is the scene where Randy Watson come, comes out. Randy, Randy Watson, <laughs> and, uh, and our studio hall is amazing as the, mm, the uh, as the Reverend. The, the, there's John Amos is great as uh, as Lisa's dad. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, McDowell's is one of the funniest concepts for a movie. <laughs> right? I can't believe they got away with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, surprised they weren't sued. Right? We yeah. have the big Mick, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, because it kept going. They kept playing off McDonald's. And thought, oh man, this has got to stop. Nope, we're going to keep it going. And yeah, I was shocked that that lasted. Yeah. Simon, what do you think? You're, you're ready to uh, jump in? Well, here. Frankie Faison, I think, right. is the actor. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yep. Thank uh, you. F A I S O N. I, I imagine yeah, okay. that's how you say yep. Faison. Yep. I think with the McDonald's thing, since I've got the mic, I think because they made it so obvious that it was they Parody. were stealing from yeah. McDonald's right. and and they didn't um, make it that it, this is a good thing you should do it. They kind of made it, made it look like a bad thing and mm-hmm. that he was being dishonest. So why would McDonald's? It's based free free advertisement for McDonald's right. in the end, right? So yeah. true. Uh, yeah, this I love this movie too. By the way, and I watched it recently and. I don't know that I'd say it holds up, but if you you know watch it with the '80s lens, it's still funny. Did yep. you yeah. laugh? Oh yeah, yeah. I was watching it. Um, I usually watch. I don't want to get too graphic on my how I watch movies, but usually it's in bed with a laptop, and usually people are falling asleep, and and I just kept laughing uncontrollably. And my wife was just like, "Can you stop?" Because she didn't <laughs> understand what I was laughing at. Yeah, you're shaking the bed. But there was just so many. Um, things that get dropped and you're like oh my gosh like you you said professor like you just it hits you and you remember it one Mm -hmm. of the ones that always hits me is uh randy watson (laughs) at the end we used to have a friend um ben in university and he would always do the sexual chocolate scene i don't know if you remember that sexual chocolate (laughs) sexual chocolate and he kept going on and on and then that was the first time i've ever seen a mic drop in my life Oh yeah, that's that's my first mic drop as well. Yeah, yeah. and I just I will still use sexual chocolate um, if I'm about to leave a place. I will do <laughs> sexual chocolate and then drop it. And pe- some most people don't know what I'm talking about. Then you point, and then your hands turn into a <laughs> fan, and you, and you fade away. <laughs> it was so awkwardly beautiful that scene. <laughs> Eric LaSalle is amazing as Daryl. 
Uh, like, he's great. When he throws uh, when he throws the, his milkshake at, <laughs> yeah. at Akeem, he's like, hey, man, take care of this. And it goes everywhere. <laughs> and it's not even a milkshake. It's just like colored milk. Right. <laughs> to get the explosive scene. And what show, what doctor show was he in? ER. Okay. The big oh, I never right. watched that yeah. show. It was too highbrow. I knew for it me. was familiar, yeah. but I couldn't place him because I didn't watch it either. Um, Joel, this is your first time seeing it. Um, how much did you love this film? It was good. Uh, I think because I'm watching it, yeah, as forty something, and the I would have liked. I can. I can. What I would have liked more is if we're talking about an African country, but they just speak like North Americans. That's like. This doesn't sound like it, but I can also appreciate that putting on a goofy accent could probably be perceived negatively and wouldn't argue with that. Um, but there, yeah, there's lots of uh, funny lines. Uh, the acting, by, especially by uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio when they're playing the, the, the different characters in the barbershop was uh, crazy good. You, so you um, like the barbershop yeah, scenes? Yeah, for sure. I love those scenes, and, man. And then, uh, as we were talking before, of when they first arrive in New York and he's so excited to be there and he goes out on the balcony and starts <laughs> yelling and then someone swears at him and he doesn't... It, F you like, to yeah. you too! <laughs> yeah, he's so excited, but he's not upset. He thinks this is the way people get along here. It was very funny. Did anyone have a favorite um, character, side character that Eddie Murphy or Arsenio Hall played? Like, does any come to mind? Uh, well, I used to always quote the joke about the waiter and the spoon. Uh, so the Jewish character that Saul, 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 Saul yeah, yep. that, that was that that that, and he, <laughs> he looks like like an old Jewish. I, guy. He I had does no that. idea. Who, I knew it was somebody else you in makeup, know it was Eddie? but I I guessed that was probably it. But I didn't know there were actually a couple of those characters that you can't tell. There's some that you can tell, obviously, but then some that. If you told me it was the other person, I would have believed you. I just would. It was very well I done. always, whenever I call, whenever I talk about Muhammad Ali now, mm -hmm. I all since 1988, I refer to him as Muhammad Ali <laughs> because that's how Saul kept pronouncing it. I don't right. know if you remember it. Yeah, yeah. Muhammad Ali, and uh, for some reason, it, it just Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah, and it just sticks in my brain like that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. So um, yeah, we should comment on the fact that because uh, we were talking about it previous to this rick baker did the makeup on all of those different characters and he previously worked with john landis on american werewolf in london which was one of your favorites and yes. michael jackson's thriller which was one of mine yeah so rick baker the fact that we get to see the top the first academy award winner for special effects makeup right moving from the horror genre mm -hmm. right into a mainstream film is I think is amazing and unexpected. It range. Yes. Totally unexpected that yes. you wouldn't think a comedy would win for best makeup, like special effects that way. But it totally fits for the movie. Going back to the Saul character, this is not um, Eddie Murphy's first time playing a white character. No, he did it. You, do you remember white Professor? like me? Was that the one the SNL skit yeah. where he would go? on the subway and then when all the african americans left he goes then on, on the, the white bus, people yeah. would would They'd bring totally change their behavior yeah. and stuff so like i mean the writing that eddie murphy has had throughout his career has been just spot on the satire and it finally comes to fruition with all these different characters so i, th I just thought it was a brilliant piece of cinematic history you know uh there's 
uh, been some kind of cultural criticism of this film because it is a fictional African country mm-hmm. that like Eddie Murphy in his movies has never, you know, um, not never, but often isn't, at least up until this point, in a kind of, in a black milieu. Hmm. That he's, you know, and, and this is what, this is like his first movie where he was in a black milieu and they have to kind of make up a country right. for him. Interesting. You know, like it's, he's not, you know, he was never kind of give, in Hollywood given um, kind of like, like a, a black community, whether, you know, it was a, a, an actual African community or mm-hmm. an African American community. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always kind of, uh, just kind of like parachuted into these, you know, kind of like white neighborhoods as uh, this person kind of from from nowhere almost. Hmm. Um, is this the first fully African-American ensemble cast for like a mainstream comedy film? Because I, I, I don't know, but it was one of those things that um, as a kid, I didn't even think about it. But looking back, I'm like, maybe this Stands is out. maybe this is one of the first because if it's the '80s is very whitewashed, mm. right? And like you said, like Eddie Murphy was playing upon um, the white well, community, and this one is is a very African American community. There's there's car wash from the '70s with Richard Pryor, uh, which was predominantly African American. It's a mm-hmm. comedy, um, but I don't know. I, I don't know the, the, the full history. Yeah, in this movie, there's essentially, yeah, you have a, a black actor playing a, a white character. Right. And then there's the the taxi driver. And Louis Anderson. Oh, yeah, and Louis Anderson. Yeah. So very few. And Louis great in this film, too. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Arsenio Hall. What do you think? Did he have the, the oh, chops? Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, I was saying, he's, it's too bad this was, you know, he didn't do a, a whole lot more as an actor after this. I thought he was awesome. What did you think, Joel? Yeah, he's very, very good. They were a great duo together, um, perfectly matched, I think. Because, yeah, you commented on in our notes about scenes where you it appears that they're, like, they're about to bust. Like, they're enjoying the the back and forth between them and the interplay. Their timing's really good. Um, so I wonder why they never made more films together, those duos. Um, so, no? Go ahead, Simon. The show that the professor was referring to that was terrible, I think it was called Martial Law. Oh, yeah. Is that the one that, yeah, was, that yeah. Arsenio was on? Yeah. Uh, he did do another movie, right? Uh, Harlem Nights. Oh, they did. That. Yes. Him oh, and oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, was, and then was, Harle- it was a flop, and maybe they thought, mm-hmm. okay, the formula's not going to work. I don't know. I thought Harlem Nights was hilarious. I liked it, too. Arsenio was great in it. But I think you're right. But he was better in Coming to America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah than he was in her own nights. He had a bigger part in it too. So anyway. Okay. The only thing I didn't, yeah, I wrestled with was, yeah, the, the nudity in this service of, uh, the men that felt really uncomfortable, especially thinking about, uh, yeah, these are black women who are just now half naked. And there, you know, there are a couple jokes that are focused around the King and Prince, uh, but yeah, gr- that and that's for sure. No Eddie Murphy movie would have been shown in my my childhood home because he was just known. Because your you parents said, are the, responsible. Yeah. Okay, uh, he that's he a fact. he knew he had a lane, and uh, so it did not intersect with our street. Um, so, but now even watching that, that felt like ah, oh, this is weird. So I always try again. I try to show my my kids some of these films yep. and I stopped at this film. I said, there's no way I'm going to sit with teenage daughters during these scenes. Cause you're, you're totally correct. 
I have no problem with that piece of revisionist history at all. Enjoy the film for what it is, right. but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do what my parents did and take me to the film. They didn't know these uncomfortable pieces would be coming up. Sure, I'm just not watching them with my own. You know, kids. and so you're gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that from them. Yeah. What about you? Would you, uh, uh, professor? Would you show this to your children? No, I mean, yeah, with the king saying, you know, I have sex with my bathers. It's like, oh yeah, I'm sure they love having sex with you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's very yeah. yeah it's like that exploitative kind yeah. of yeah. um lens you throw it on you're like yeah that did it need to be in there not at all but again like movies are made oh we have to have um this in the film in order for it to sell mm-hmm. it was rated r yeah oh, was it it was rated r so when i went back and looked i'm like well why wouldn't joel have seen this film and then i looked it's rated r and the there's a ton. There's nudity right at the beginning, yeah. and really yeah. stupid. Yeah, the royal penis is clean line. I'm like, oh man, it's stupid. You, you got you guys should have cut that. It's iconic, but I don't think it's the best part of the film. Yeah. Um. So I'm not dunking on this film at all because I know um, some people will come back and say, oh, this revisionist history. It's not. It's just I don't think it's even the the top reason why this film. Mm-hmm. No. Is any good, and it stopped good people like Joel from seeing the film <laughs> as uh, a ten-year-old. Can I a, a trivia question for you? Shoot, do you like trivia? Yes. Yeah. James Earl Jones has played two African kings as King Jaffa. Is it Jeff, Jeffy? Jaffy Jafar. Jaffy Jafar. What was the other African king that he played? Real f- or fictional king? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you know it. Wait, is it Idi Amin? No, did he play Idi Amin? No, I, I, I you just, just made that up. No, I do you know? I do not. Uh, Mustafa. Okay, I almost oh said. Oh, can King. you feel? I almost said it, but tonight. I thought it was too obvious. Anyway. I, I thought you were asking live action. No, well, I think maybe he played Mustafa in the live action as well. I uh, I thought uh, Idris Elba. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Sorry, I got it wrong. Mufasa. Does this fit into? Would you put it in a cinema time capsule then? Oh, 100%. I mean, I I wouldn't call it a buddy film, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it's it's such an iconic film. I mean, it'd be just bananas not to have it in any time capsule. Wait a second. You don't think that you think this is very similar to the stains and lack of buddies? Yeah, for me a buddy film is it uh, the buddies the, mm. uh, the buddy cannot be a supporting player. The buddy has to be on equal footing and the film has to be about them coming together. Uh, and forming right. a friendship or maintaining gotcha. a friendship. And so, you know, but again, I think it's good to, you know, expand the definition or to see why something might not fit. So if I handed this paper into you with Coming to America, would I have failed in your course? <laughs> no, I would just have a little note in the margins. My So my thesis your is thesis bunk. Your thesis is incorrect. My, but... think, my thesis is bunk. That's like, what you're saying. If, if I were like editing a book and you submitted this, I'd say you have to rework it. <laughs> But if I were kind of grading a paper in a class, I would say, you know, uh, really interesting. Okay. I don't agree. But who would have got a higher mark? Who would have got a higher mark on the buddy? Um, would it have been me or <laughs> Doctor Retro? And, and oh, be boy. honest, um, it's probably me. Everyone knows that. Okay. You just you can you don't have to say it. We know we yeah. know that I got a higher mark. <laughs> okay. Okay. You yeah. asked a question and don't need an answer. <laughs> Everyone knows I got a higher mark than Doctor Retro on the, the right. buddy thesis. Fair. So. Again, thank you, um, and Joel. Thank uh, you. Doctor, you picked it. Doctor Retro. You've never seen it. 
is it deserve it of a cinema time capsule? I can or not. I think going along with what you said about spies like us in terms of its time, and as we were trying to recall, were there any other um, predominantly, if not almost exclusively, black casts? Then this stands out uh, in that in that time for what it was, and you know, there's some cringy things about it, but overall, um, it was a, a hit and uh, understandably so. That boy's good. Okay, thank you. So I think we're going to take a quick break. You won't even know we're gone. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, in a faraway kingdom, lived a handsome prince. He was attended by devoted servants. Do you think perhaps just once I might use the bathroom by myself? Most amusing, sir. Wipers! And engaged by royal decree. Why? Why can't I find my own wife? We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. I want a woman that's going to arouse my intellect as well as my loins. Where will you find such a woman? In America. So he traveled across the sea to the land of opportunity. Which is where the fairy tale ends and our story begins. Behold, Simi! Life! Real life! A thing that we have been denied for far too long! We're in New York now! Let us dress as New Yorkers! I feel like a complete idiot. Have either of you ever had any fast food work experience before? Certainly not! This will be our first job in the United States. I am Akeem. Nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. That's good to know. Oh my goodness, it is you! Greetings, your highness. Who was that? Eddie Murphy. Just the man I met in the restroom. Arsidio Hall. Ah! In a comedy fable of royal romance. When I look at these contestants for the Miss Black Awareness pageant, I feel good. Apparently, these are the best women Queens has to offer. Pick one and let's go home. I want to tear you apart. And your friend, too. Coming to America. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. It was a most ripping victory. Son, if you want to keep working here, stay off the drugs. Yes, All right, on to our next film that I know... Dr. Retro has been, he's, since we started the podcast, I know he's wanted to review this film. This is one of his all-time favorite Absolutely. 80s films. Uh, take it away, Dr. Retro. I chose 1989's My 12th Birthday Party, which was, I think, just me. Uh, we went to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It stars the uh, big coming out role for Keanu Reeves, Alex Winters, George Carlin, and then some other names that uh, I thought I'd add in there. Bernie Casey. Yes. Was Mr. Ryan. 
Um, he's in Spice Like Us as well. Is. Yes. Colonel Rhombus. I was hoping you guys saw that. And then the uh, three most important people from the future are the big mon. I didn't even realize this really? until recently. Clarence Clemens. Uh, then uh, Martha Davis from the band The Motels. And a throwback to The Stains, Fee Waybill from The Tubes. He was in two movies that we reviewed. Who? Yeah. Uh, Fee Waybill. He was in uh, The Fabulous Stains as well. That movie. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So, this was, can we just talk about the movie at hand? Yes, okay, yes. I'm getting triggered so, again. It was written by Chris Matheson who, and uh, Ed Su- uh, Solomon, and they wrote all three Bill and Ted movies. But if you ask me, uh, only pretend there's two. In <laughs> um, the latter, Ed, he also worked on some Laverne and Shirley and uh, our fellow Hamiltonian Dave Thomas's own comedy show. Uh, they actually appear, the two writers, are the waiters in the ice cream shop. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, that's them? Yep. Oh, cool. Okay. Iggy Piggy. Iggy Piggy. Iggy Piggy. It was uh, so directed by Stephen Herrick, which, uh, who, who produced or directed one of Jeff's favorites, Critters, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Mighty Ducks, and Mr. Holland's Opus. So the story revolves around two teenage metalheads in San Dimas, California, a real place, on the verge of failing their last year of high school because of their failing band, the Wild Stallions, are given a time machine that helps them make the ultimate history presentation and change the future of the universe in the process. Um, You already told us a little bit about why you chose it, because True. it was, you know, your 12th birthday. Yep. Anything was that else? By your, were you really by yourself? On your twelfth. No. Well, I don't. I don't know. You should that see the concern my, on my, the professor's uh, face. For sure, my like one of my parents was there. I just don't remember if I brought any friends or if it was well, just I like that there. was my thing. I don't. I, I didn't know you. I would. I wanted yeah. to know you. Though. Yeah. 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 We had to wait a few years for that to come to fruition. Um, so I I wasn't into heavy metal, but I loved music at the time. Uh, so it was a good backdrop for this hilarious jaunt through history with two lovable losers. To me, it's immensely quotable. I still have most of the script stored in my brain. Give me one right now. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, well, we were talking about the the scene with the when it first drops in. How's it going, old West dude? <laughs> or the bar, and he's like, two beers, please." I'm going to test you. He didn't even card us. Yeah, we'll have to remember this place. <laughs> okay, I'm going to test you right now. How's it going, Mister the Kid? I love when they say Mr. The Kid. I still laugh. Okay. Um, are you ready? Yep. I'm going to test you. Okay. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent. Execute them. Bogus. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. You pass the dead. test. You Don't pass be dead, dude. The test. Okay. Should this film go in the cinema time capsule? Absolutely. It, it was the first movie that came to mind when we discussed this theme feel like the characters are perfectly crafted and portrayed. Uh, we can't help but cheer for them. Everyone knows Bill and Ted, and they've worked their way into permanent fixtures of 80s pop culture. Is this better than The Fabulous Stains? Absolutely. Okay, drop the it's mic. A, it's a different word. It's done. a totally different movie. Thank you. Uh, but I love it still. Uh, and it's one of the ones that when I first saw Bogus Journey, I didn't like it. It just felt like it was. It, it didn't have the same feel but then years later when i returned to bogus journey 
I love I love it now. I um, like it. I always liked that movie. I didn't at first, but when they're playing Battleship, yeah, <laughs> like the <laughs> Grim so Reaper. many fun lines. Can I share a story about Bogus Journey? Yeah, yeah. it's very on topic. I know we're not uh, we're not doing Bogus Journey. Let's, not yet. Nineteen ninety one. So we won't. Oh, yeah. As I've mentioned before, I used to work at Jumbo Video. True. And one day while I was working at Jumbo Video, this lady came in. She was really fired up, and she's like. I rented this comedy and it's got all this religious overtones and I was embarrassed to show it to my children and I want my money back. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll go get the manager. <laughs> but like you do see there's a picture of death, on <laughs> right? I don't remember exactly what happened, but I just thought she's wow. like, this is a light hard comedy and there's all this really? sacrilegious stuff in there. Oh, okay. and I was, she yeah, was they, all very upset about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it's too bad she didn't. Maybe she'll she revisit really it, it and yeah. uh, and enjoy it. Well, maybe if she thought that one was bad, maybe she's seen the third one now, and oh. maybe she realizes <laughs> yeah. the second it wasn't one that was bad. Amazing. Anyway, yeah. There was a critics review that I put in there. Did you see? Yeah. That? You want to read it, or do you want me to read so, it? So apparently, the Washington Post on the theme does not like movies. At least the movies that no. we like. Uh, so their writer stated that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a dilapidated comedy about two of histor- history's preeminent non-entities. To say that Bill and Ted are underachievers is unfair to all those who actually possess untapped potential. <laughs> See, I like those. I love one of my favorite things now is to go back and look. Yeah, what, what did they think? The intellectuals think at the right. time. Yeah, it's I don't know. It and the movie Spinal Tap parodies like reviews and mm. critical responses really yep. well because it's there sometimes they're over you know they're they're take themselves little, too seriously they're a little bit pompous yeah i think critics don't like it when they're not in on the joke mm. so they're like you know we don't know people like bill and ted this is ridiculous and it's like well you know you're not in high school like, <laughs> you're not gonna know them and you did you know, know them you know you've just forgotten right you know so i think when it, they don't really realize that we're kind of you know having fun with bill and ted they're like you think these people are smart and interesting. Well, they're not. And I bet there is a world in which some folks move where film is meant as a serious venture and commentary on social life and issues. So that there's probably folks out there who comedy is, seems flippant and immature and should not exist. You know, when I was rewatching it, I was actually prepared to have like a big critique about how this was like a this was a, a bad movie because it rep- it's it really was the downfall of civilization where history just becomes about having famous people around. Mm. You know, so I I was I, then at the book report scene, it, you know, they actually do know something about these people, and mm. actually Freud is like psychoanalyzing them, <laughs> and um, Freud makes some good points. Freud, Freud says that you know your father. Uh, he has a fear of failure. He's transferred all of his hostility onto you, uh, Ted. As like, oh, that's you know, Freud isn't like kind of just a famous person. He actually has interesting things to say. Mm. And and Bill's like, I have a, I, I have an eatable complex. And Missy <laughs> kind of winces at that. Yeah. And so I, I I thought that the film actually, in the end, wasn't just you know, hey, look at these famous people from history. Isn't that cool? But they were actually interesting and, mm. and they actually had historical value as presented in the movies mm-hmm. in the movie yep i think I mean, um, 
it was I was exposed to a lot of history through this movie when I was a kid, and I didn't know a lot about these. I didn't know about Frood. Right. I didn't know about Socrates. You would know that. Now, upsettingly, when I went to university and referred to them as Socrates and Frood, <laughs> it kind of um, impacted me at the beginning. You got a note in the margin. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I did, Professor. Jeff, and you said that Caesar was a salad dressing dude. <laughs> yeah, like, so for even, like, even the way they misplayed those things, mm-hmm. um, I thought brought more attention to the historical value because, you know, like... <laughs> remember remember when they're like, uh, is it George Washington had wooden teeth, chased movie dick, and then they're like, what did he say at the Hall of Presidents? Oh, oh I got it. Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. Like <laughs> that was their best effort was coming up, yeah, with simple things or yeah, total misunderstandings of who these people were. And then you're right at the end, which does come a bit out of left field, but it implies like I guess as they're traveling through the circuits of time, they're talking about stuff because then they are presenting them in a m- closer to accurate uh, position rather than the uh, goofy presentation earlier in the movie yeah they they actually have read a bit about mm-hmm. these people I mean, they're not talking to most of them most of them can't speak english you know and that was always the hard part is how do you get everyone to come into the time machine with you when you don't speak their language <laughs> yeah. and how do you get them because they like abduct all these people and then after they're abducted they're like they kind of join the borg and they're part of the borg and yeah. they're very happy to be part of it yeah but we don't know how like Genghis Khan suddenly is very happy to be yeah. going and doing this. Well, he got what, fed. What was what was the line? Didn't, didn't they lure yeah, him yeah, with in, a Twinkie? With his yeah. tongue, oh, the Twinkie. Twinkie, right? And then I think they said that. Remember when they uh, they, they got Socrates and then they're in medieval England and then Billy, they're like Billy, you are dealing with the oddity of tra- time travel with the greatest of ease, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> he just adjusted very quickly to being. Somewhere else in in time, they're all very excited to be part <laughs> yeah. of this adventure. Yeah, well, it looks amazing. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It, this is a total romp, mm-hmm. and time goes so quickly in the film because yep. it's action upon action, and the fact that they just weld together different times and they do it perfectly. This is before CGI, yeah. and yet the sets this, are it's beautifully good. done. I'm and like, the special what? effects are re- like. Considering the time yes. going through the circuits of time, yeah, the animation is really, gorgeous. really good. Yeah, they do a good job of creating a story out of what I you would based on the, a summary you would you would think. Oh, so they meet, they capture these famous people, and they're and then they go and do their book report, and that's the story. And then like Napoleon kind of becomes a major subplot mm-hmm. because he goes because he goes missing. Deacon, yeah, because Deacon takes him out, and then he yeah. goes missing, and then he has fun, you know. At the water slide, and then they would have rested. <laughs> I love at the mall. that subplot. Like I <laughs> yeah. think that the way that they they kind of um, keep it in the present time, yeah, based on that subplot, brilliant. And yeah, when water he goes to Waterloo, <laughs> and I just thought <laughs> like, one of the most excellent water yeah, slides. It's like yeah. how perfect. Like people <laughs> yeah. say it's dumb writing, but it's like no, it's like brilliant. spot but, on. But writing. actually, I think most viewers wouldn't capture. No, it, wouldn't yeah. see a Waterloo water loop. Yeah, right, the, right. and so the, that's the, pretty clever. The Washington Post obviously didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't know their history. And like him <laughs> yeah. running up the the slide and like pushing kids out of the way and stuff <laughs> yeah. is just like I just love the whole characterization yeah. that that actor 
brings forth. He's really. I, I love how he has his own like kind of like old like swimsuit. Yep. Available to him when he goes there, <laughs> he, he gets out of out of his clothes. Yep. Yes. Uh, his and, period swimsuit. And, and Bill and Ted, you know. You know, they decide to let the historical figures run around the mall by yep. themselves. That's, I think, that's another major scene that I think is just perfect. It's, it's, it's very well done. I mean, they shouldn't have done that for themselves because they all get arrested, but it was good for the story. And yeah, that then the way they worked in each character finding their sort of what would they take from present day and how. You know, beef oven is surrounded by the okay. uh, the keyboards, and then uh, Genghis Kong's in the sporting goods store, so he finds bats. Uh, yeah, that was. Can so, I go? Oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, uh, Simon wants to jump so, in here. So my main point of contention with the whole movie is that scene with uh, beef oven. Me too. I was going to go <laughs> oh, there. Yeah. Can you tell me what you're going to say? Because I Here's need to hear thing. this. Just, I love this movie. It's a great movie. We use this as our sign-off on the radio show. We say, be excellent to each other. That's the last thing we always right. say on the show. But if, And I know a little bit, a bit about Vitevon. I'm not an expert, but I, I've read some books and things. I don't think he would like Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Here. How was his hearing at this point? Uh, it was. They played it off that he couldn't hear because when they go to um, pick him up, Everyone in the freaks out. Everyone freaks out, except him. And he's playing, and he can't hear them. But then he can hear in the mall. Yes. Then he could. So there, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. The... And to be fair, Beethoven's hearing when he first started losing his hearing, it did come and go. Okay. Uh, he did become completely deaf eventually, but at the beginning, it it came and went. Uh, he kept hoping to, you know. He had good days and bad days, just like uh, everybody else, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, that's not completely inaccurate, but also every other Beethoven movie, the same thing happens where, like, he can conveniently hear for this dramatic scene, <laughs> but later on he can't. Hmm. So it's they're not alone in that inconsistency either. So That scene upset me because I thought it was not on point because if – a dude that looked like Beethoven sat in on a bunch of th- synths and crushed it. And there's a crowd going bananas. The clerk's going to stop him and call the security. <laughs> That's baloney. That's free advertising. Yeah. It's like a massive hit. So I thought there's no way. I but was surprised about that. He got upset and got security. I was angered by it. Yeah. But I wasn't angered when um, Genghis Khan started smashing stuff. I would have been like, we got to get this guy yeah, out of here. That was wrong. Oh, but Joan of Arc leads the uh, workout. But yes. she ended up assaulting the lady. So I yeah, she threw her off the stage. Yeah. She do do, did deserve to go to jail for that. Yeah. And that, what did Billy the Kid and Socrates do? Other than try to pick up 14-year-olds. Yes, maybe that was it. That that's was all you need it. to do. Yeah, that, that's, that's that probably was, illegal. Even back then. Yeah, so that would that's why they got thrown in jail. I don't remember. I don't know that they. I can't remember what exactly, but they were all there and they did together, unsavory so, things. Yeah, but probably. Beethoven, Beethoven did not yeah. do something unsavory. Well, the professors pulled up the scene. So, oh, Billy! Oh, Billy he shot fires a gun, a gun and uh, a gun. so does uh, so. So the mall cops uh, throw them all in jail. Yeah. It's an important plot device that needed yeah. to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when scene. they. Because then they use the, we'll just go back in time and leave the keys. It's genius. Yeah. That was, actually, I thought that was really clever writing. I, I guess, I always thought that 
if it were me, I would always forget to go back in time mm-hmm. later so it wouldn't have worked. You still have that ability, yeah. But I would just be like, oh, we already got it. I'm not going to yeah. do it. Uh, a funny quote I uh, read that uh, Keanu described the um, the special effects. So in the the phone booth going through the circuits of time, he described it as a death ride canoe from the worst carny ride you've ever been on. He said it was terrible. That's what makes, I think, again, those 80s movies just so much more um, dynamic because you're not playing... You're on not, a green screen, well, exclusively. it's like you can easily make a time travel movie now. Like in the it, like late 80s, that would have been hard to do, I think. Yeah, they're actually risking their lives for real. That's, a, yeah. that, that's exciting as a viewer to know. <laughs> and I like that. I want yeah. I want my pr- principal actors to march in a certain death. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then come out on the other end. Yeah. I think Keanu Reeves, a lot of people um, poo-poo on Keanu Reeves. I think his best movies come from the um, mid uh, to late 80s and into the early 90s. I'm, I was a huge Keanu fan. I'm not anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he got... I think, you know, people's in their imagination, because he played dumb characters, people thought he was dumb. And it, that was kind of Im- imbued in all of his later performances. It, even, it, like, I don't think it was there, but I think people were like, oh, it's Keanu Reeves playing another dumb guy. But he's not supposed to be a dumb character. He, therefore, he's a bad actor. Hmm. But I, I think he's been rehabilitated, but I think he was good all along. I see. I don't, I don't. I don't relate probably because he's not a teenager anymore in any mm. of the films. So I'm not, I don't dig like the matrix and i'm sorry i said that really and, and the wick movies like i'm not into that i'd much rather him play the dumb dude one wick movie was enough i mean i don't need to see a million people getting killed <laughs> in consecutive Again. films. so and then alex winter i thought he was an amazing yeah. actor um and unfortunately he didn't really do much after this, what he, did he, do he be- made a Frank Zappa. Lost Boys. I know that's all. He made a Whoa. Frank Zappa documentary. Oh, did he? Well, yeah. We got the right guy. Well, for are that. you going to send me that then? Send me the link for that. I'll watch I'm ha- that I'm happily, and then we'll discuss. Okay. I'm going, and then I'll watch it tonight. And then, of course, George Carlin, who killed it as Rufus. But do you know who the part was originally intended for? Um, Bill Murray, no. Eddie Van Halen. Correct. Oh, that would have not worked. But you know what? And they didn't get Van Halen because they couldn't afford him. Like they had a limited budget and they said, that's how much it'll cost. So they were like, they have to redo it. And Carlin had been working on another film that lined up. So and I, I thought he's, he was a perfect Rufus. Uh, he was a great choice. As a so young funny. kid, I didn't know George yeah, Carlin. Neither. And then I started listening yep. to his, his comedy after that, which is, it's a great gateway for, yep. for mm-hmm. a youngster for yeah. sure. The scenes that I didn't really enjoy was I didn't like when they were in the future world. It just didn't work for me. I thought it just right. slowed yeah, everything down. And, and I hated the bland. stupid, the guitar. Yeah. Like, this is our salute. There's no, that's where it took like a turn. Like, it's not plausible. These guys are not leading the next generation. <laughs> There's no way. Like, that was the the funny part of the movie. Because, you know, like, how the hell did these guys end up you know leading the world? Um, and I think you kind of want it to be unanswered, but they give you an answer. Yes. And the answer is like, oh, that's kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like they're, they're yeah. the wild stallions music yeah. Yeah. liberates an entire, no, 
I'm yeah. sorry. That's not going to yeah. happen. Just yeah. leave it unanswered. They, right. they saved the world. Fine. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll imagine something for ourselves. Yeah. If yeah. Bob Marley couldn't do it, then the Wild Stallion's <laughs> sure not going to liberate the, the world with their music. The soundtrack's pretty good for when you go through and see there's really no major bands. But when I think of this movie, it's like the of its day, it's pretty solid. All those songs... Uh, they're still stuck in there. Maybe it's just because I like the movie so much. But, but I thought, yeah, it's a novel way of combining science fiction, like um, history, per- current day, and uh, futuristic science fiction. It was an interesting mix to pull all those together. Um, and then, yeah, the only parts I didn't love were the parts with, around Missy. That was just uncomfortable. Explain. Uh, Professor, sexual innuendo, and I mean the 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 you're a Freudian specialist. Well, the dad, you know, having sex with a woman three years older than you in your bedroom. I mean, you know, I think even as a kid, I thought that that was pretty creepy. Again, that's I've seen this with my my kids, and they like it. I did fast forward that scene. Yeah, yeah. Just because it, yeah, it was totally uncomfortable for me. Yeah, the, the, the dad's, dad's like, I'm, a, I'm gonna have sex with this woman who you guys are actually very close in age with in your bedroom. and attracted to. Remember when and, she was a senior and we were freshmen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That and then when they cl- he closed the door, it was like, what? Gross. Why did they throw that in there? Yeah, keep it out so we can just keep letting the good times roll. Yeah, but I mean, maybe they threw that in there for the older audience to kind of guffaw over. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, she was great. I, she, I thought she did her role really well. Yeah. I thought she was really funny. Who's who plays Missy? Oh, great question. I got it. I, I know. I've seen her. I've seen her in other movies uh, throughout the eighties. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought she was really engaging mm. and really um, funny in this film. You want to know who else tried out for the film? Amy Stock Poynton. Okay. The, uh, so for uh, it was originally supposed to be a time van, but they felt that, I a, heard a, that yeah. a vehicle was too close to Back to the Future, so they switched it. And uh, Polly Shore auditioned for Ted. Well, he could have done it, yeah, and, and he would have not had to act at all, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but for Bill, it was like a pretty star-studded uh, list. Matt Adler, one of our favorite '80s bit players river phoenix who's matt adler again remember uh from oh North, he North was in shore. North shore. he's in so much and fly the navigator and teen the older brother yep. and teen Wolf. so then him river phoenix sean penn and brendan fraser so i was gonna say this is basically these two are like the reincarnation of a spicoli from fast times at ridgemount high mm. like right. they take that kind of valley boy surfer dude thing yeah and it's kind of like the evolution of that i guess because it works so well in Fast Times. Yeah. And... But it's, in Fast Times, it's basically at the end, like Spicoli is, you know, it's like, well, you're you're going nowhere, you know, and uh, he kind of lives in the dream world. And in this movie, it's, well, Ted's going to go to military school. So it's, you know, so they're, they're kind of, they are endorsing the American dream. Right. In, 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 in both movies. Um, and, but in this movie, it's, you know, well, if you have a time machine, you can get a leg up on the competition and actually, you know, <laughs> it's a form of, so basically they're, they're using AI in order to pass this. Basically. Yeah. This, so this, that this, this is the first example of AI. Yeah. Of AI. But 
Well, except it wasn't artificial. It's, it was exactly. real. Exactly. They did mm. go back and get the real people. They didn't cheat. They did. They got Sigmund Freud. They got beef But they did it. have an unfair advantage. It's yeah. like, you know. Use what, what opportunities are presented to you. So now you're advocating for use of steroids probably in, in all. No, that. just strictly time machines. If okay. you have a time machine, you're allowed to use it I for your history. That. That's not fair. No. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I'm going to ask a, uh, another question then based on, you know, the academia. Would you accept um, this as professor? Mm. Would you accept this as a viable um, piece I, um, as an ICU? Is this an evidence of their learning, even though they had a time machine? Is this evidence of their learning? Yeah, I, because the report is solid. I mean, I don't think that report's very. They didn't good. write it though. Um, Freud is doing all the work. Well, okay, the whole the whole format of the report's ridiculous. Like you wouldn't have this. You wouldn't have this school assembly where everyone kind of, you know, gives a gives a talk. That would be the right? worst assembly I of mean, all time. It would be awful. Um, it would. It, the, most students would not do it because it's it, it, because a lot of students have public speaking uh, fears, right? Uh, so. But then if you're like, if that's the format, then, okay, we're going to go all out and bring out, you know, historical figures who are going to act things out for you. And, and that would wow. cost a lot of money. And what, what mark would I get on that? You get an A plus because you put a lot of work into it. But if, what if you found out that I didn't do any had work? had only invented a time and machine. And I just, I didn't even write the script for them. They just talked because that's well, who they it, were. Would I still get the marks? You know, because I need to know it, this. It's it's still considered doing the work because there's nothing in the uh, academic policy that says you can't use a time machine <laughs> to go back and get the figure. You know, you know, because you have it's to you, you have to go by the letter of the law. Right. And so that, okay, that's fine. Just to clarify, if I abduct someone from history, yeah. and bring them to your class, yeah. I'm going to get a good mark on this one. If you know a bit about them and can talk about them at some length, yes. Well, this is good news. And yeah. uh, so now that we've had this discussion, will it be in all future syllabus for you that you cannot, students, you cannot yeah, develop a time machine it will and bring in past personages of historical significance? You should yeah. probably put it in there. Here's the thing. You don't actually have to worry about that because when they do invent a time machine, you just go use the time machine and go back in time and change Before all the syllabuses. That, right? Oh, yeah. And then syllabi. It'll, yes, syllabi. <laughs> uh, so, I won't have a problem you know, with that. Yeah. Then it won't be – you don't have to worry about it, basically. It's, it's, it's a problem for the future. Yeah, it's true. And it will be solved – in the future, in the, yeah, and in the, the past. past, it's a moot question. <laughs> One more critical thing that I need to know at the end of my speech: if I yell "San Dimas High School Football Rules," <laughs> would that affect my mark in any way, or would you just think that's a flare? Well, that was the most realistic part of the assembly. I'm like that absolutely <laughs> would happen, where a person would be up there and have no idea what they're talking about. The actual other book reports were good. The one student who was like, you know. Uh, who was talking about how you know we are uh, all? Con- oh, I can't remember. She was good. I know what you're talking. I know who you're referring to. Yeah, she sounded like a university. Uh, it sounded like a, a a dissertation. Yeah, she was kind of making. She was talking about how she was making kind of a Marxist argument about how people are cons- are consumers and zombies nowadays. Yes, and so no one would give that speech, um, but <laughs> everyone would give the. Uh, ooh, ooh, San Dimas. What did he say? Well, San Dimas High School Football Rules. Uh, maybe, maybe they would give that speech in university, and in, then in university. not in high school. Would yeah. you make? Would you put anything in the margin 
with that last statement, or would you just be like, here you go. Oh, here's your I mean, C plus. At, 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 at here's that, your C plus. At, <laughs> That's what you're aiming for. Please leave. At, at that point, you don't put anything in margin because they would they would see you as a real buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously it's inappropriate. So you're going to look like those Washington Post critics if you're like, this was inappropriate. Like, of course it's inappropriate. Oh, you didn't you know? need to comment on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this is why we have you, Professor, because yeah. this, is, this is helping us. This is helping us uh, frame our understanding of what Bill and Ted actually accomplished. Yeah. Joel, would you like to wrap it up in, and give us any more information that we need to know? Um, before moving on well i think just reminding us of how yeah big this became uh it launched a cartoon there was a brief live action show serial video games comics sequels um it was it was a pretty big film and has a long life don't watch the latest one it's I know other people have liked it. I did not like it at all. I was okay. ang- it, like, I would be. I pulled a Jeff. I felt angry watching it that I spent money on it. Okay, so, so I, and but part one and part two. So and considerably more merchandising than the fabulous oh, stains. Wow. Then yeah, okay. I imagine so okay, thank so. you. Point taken. Now a motion picture so grand, <gasps> so magnificent. And so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who was Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We're in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter. Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's... Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. Party on, dude. Okay, and for our last film, number six on okay. the list, we are throwing it over to the professor... I'm uh, very excited to be talking about this next movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, it was one of my favorite movies growing up. Uh, I, I, I loved rewatching it. I hadn't seen it in, in a long time, and it, I thought it, it held up very well. Uh, stars Steve Martin, John Candy, written, directed, produced by John Hughes, who's known more for his teen comedies. But uh, this is, uh, I, I think this is his best movie. I, but. I, I would need to go through all his movies to say for sure. 
Uh, this is uh, a movie that begins on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. In, in America, they, they celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursdays. Correct. And when basically Friday, too. Yeah. Like they do yeah, it right. They, they, well, yeah. It's their one long weekend a year they get. So it's, Americans smush their holidays together <laughs> because Thanksgiving is like the end of November. And then we got to meet mm. for that. And then right. they do Christmas as well, only a right. month. So they save their two big holidays for the very end of the year, which is strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Tuesday. Thanksgiving's two days away. Neil Page is trying to get home. He's played by Steve Martin. He needs to get to the airport, and he tries to get a cab but trips over a trunk owned by Del Griffith, who then steals the next cab that Neil hails. And Neil has actually paid money for this cab uh, already in order just just to get the privilege to hail it. Then uh, on the plane to Chicago, where they're both trying to go, Neil must then sit next to Del who removes his socks and shoes and will not stop talking. When a snowstorm forces the plane to land in Wichita, Kansas, Neil could not find a hotel room, so he and Dell wind up sharing a motel room. Dill goes to sleep in near tears when Neil, exasperated by Dell's slobbery and sinus congestion, <laughs> rants about how boring his new roommate is. Um, and Steve Burton gives a very long uh, speech about how boring Dell is. He really digs into his character. It's, 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 it's quite mean. And over the next two days, they try and, f- and fail to get home by train, bus, taxi, and car rental before finally hitching a ride with a trucker. Uh, Neil Nameric actually gets into a taxi, but he tries to get into one and gets knocked out by the, <laughs> by the attendant. Uh, in the end, though, Neil discovers why Dell is so desperate to make a new friend. And what prompted you to choose this of your two films for our theme? Today? Well, I'm a massive Steve Martin fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've always loved the stand-up comedy. Uh, I loved his early films. Uh, I can't say I'm in love with his career really since uh, the early '90s. Really, for the past 30 years, I I don't know if there's been that many movies by him I've liked. But uh, I this I think this is one of the few movies that works as both um, a story and as a vehicle for his talents. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it, the movie has a gay subtext, which I don't think gets talked about a lot. But mm. I think these are two guys who you could easily read it as they fall in love with each other, and that uh, because the movie is really to me really interesting because you don't really know why they decide to hang out in the end. To me, it's it's like it, it, they imply it, but I think it's unanswered. So mm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, like you're not even sure if Steve Martin likes his wife. Like he, he's never home. Uh, we get lots, lots of shots from thinking about her, but you know, you, you don't even really know. And and John Candy's wife has died. I think it's John Candy's best movie. It's just, it's very funny and touching at the same mm-hmm. time, which is what you really need with a buddy film, yep. uh, where you really want these guys to be friends, uh, and you want them to get together, even though. The majority of the film is them arguing. There aren't many moments where they seem to actually like each other, except when they're in the hotel motel room at, near the very end. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a good movie because you know good buddy movie because Dell humanizes Neil, who's just kind of a little uptight, and a little too corporate, yep. and you know Neil kind of gives Dell some dignity by saying you know we can be friends. You know like uh, even though Dell seems to be liked by people more, like Dell feels like a bit like, like a loser and Neil kind of kind of you know legitimizes his character in the end by letting him come and be with his a well-to-do mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. So 
it's uh, I think it just works on on a lot of levels. Um, Roger Ebert, our our, our old friend, uh, <laughs> he actually lo- loves uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm. It's, it's in his great movies collection. Uh, and the the first paragraph of his review says. Um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is founded on the essential nature of its actors. It is perfectly cast and soundly constructed, and all else flows naturally. Steve Martin and John Candy don't play characters. They embody themselves. That's why the comedy, which begins securely planted in the twin genres of the road movie and the buddy picture, is able to reveal so much heart and truth. And hence, you chose to put it in the cinema time capsule. I did. Of all the films, would, would this be the film? If I only had to pick one? Yeah. You know, yeah, the... it would definitely be this one. Okay. So I think um, this is a juggernaut of a film. It's it's. I think it comes at the end of the no eighty seven. Eighty seven, right? yeah. Eighty seven. So we're 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 cresting the eighties, and I think uh, yeah, John Hughes is just really. It's a really brand film that branches from his type of mm-hmm. film, right? Yeah. Um, and he goes off path here, and I, I don't know how he wrote it so well, but it's just. It's brilliant the way he did it. It has one scene with the kids, which they could have cut. Where uh, the mom, the mom is played by Lila Robbins, who play who's who's in uh, the show The Boys. Have you seen the? I the, have the boys? not seen The Boys. The Boys is one of my favorite shows, and she she plays a senior uh, FBI. I think it's the FBI agent. In, okay, in the show. so she's still relevant. So she's very relevant. Okay, and but there's a scene where she's like. Uh, uh, you, you don't get noogies. You get Indian burns. I'm like, you don't need that. Oh, it's John Hughes. Okay, fine. He gets one scene with the kids. Mm-hmm. But it's basically no kids. Right. Yeah, and that's totally off path for him. For me, um, this is a big one in our household at holiday time. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my daughters loves it. And she always, she doesn't know, she knows John Candy, but she refers to him as the big man. <laughs> and she's like, oh, can we watch the movie with the big guy in it? And because it's not, it, it's a it's a familiar face, but mm-hmm. unfortunately he passes away um, no longer with us. So he's not, he his timeline just mm-hmm. obviously stops. Right. But I think this is his, like you said, his, his best film. I'm more of a John Candy fan than... Um, a Steve Martin fan because sometimes Steve Martin overplays that aggressive, angry character, mm. but it works so perfectly in this film. I think that's why my my wife does not like Steve Martin at all. If he's ever on the radio, turn it. Um, and I got her to watch this, and she, after an hour, she said, "I don't want to watch anymore." And so I, and I finished it and then I realized, cause I, I would be the same that I enjoy John Candy. He's more, uh, engaging and lovable, uh, um, than Steve Martin, but the, it's like the last third of the movie, it switches so that that's where you get to see Dell for who he is. Neil realizes how he's behaved and what might be going on for this guy who's helped him out. And then it becomes much more pleasant and enjoyable where then they start being more human and kind or Neil does anyways. Um, So I told her, you got to watch the last, like you left during the angry part where nothing's working out, which is setting up like it's funny, but I think if it just ended and they were angry, that wouldn't be a, a nice movie, but we love it so much i think because the two as you described at the beginning they recognize what each other brings to the table and what they appreciate about the other one even when they took it for granted and certainly the story of 
uh, Dell is just sad, but yeah, makes him who he is. And then we all like we we would probably be Neil to anybody like that, and and then and then hope that oh, if I learned that about the person, maybe I would be more open and accepting of Dell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's Joel. You sent us the uh, deleted scenes, which were released mm. on the new Blu-ray yep. that came out last yep. year, and the, the, the deleted scenes have uh, tons of footage, oh mostly yeah. from mostly from the beginning. Right, the major- vast majority of it is before Steve Barton goes on his rant about right. how Dell, boring Dell is, and most of that footage <laughs> totally makes ju- justifies the, yes. the rant. Yes, uh, like. Dell goes through his wallet. He steals money from yeah, him. The bathroom, the bathroom being a disaster. Yeah, yeah. and like uh, Dell coming in and like flossing his teeth while while <laughs> yeah. Neil's trying to have a shower, and and like you see the beer cans explode on the bed. I mean, you know, it. Yeah, it's it explained that. And there's a scene where he's um sm- he starts smoking in bed. Well, eating, yeah. yeah, and, and eating the one, chips. No, well, remember the beginning one when he's smoking and eating a hot dog. That's one of the, that's yeah. one of the all time great cinematic that's pieces that we've never yeah, had a that people to didn't see. know. I yeah. think if it had existed, no. they just heard about it. So yeah, with this so new the release, is, he's got a chili dog. Well, after he's offered <laughs> Neil, right? Like, can I get you something to you know make up for the fact I stole your cab? And he just says no, and then eventually he gets his own uh, chili dog. He's, he's got the cigarette, cigarette. He's got the the chili dog in the mouth, and he inhales the cigarette, and then multiple <laughs> times bites into the hot dog. Smoke so billowing out of his mouth. <laughs> and it's, it was, yeah. it's one of the all time great scenes that we didn't get to yeah. see. It's so disgusting. <laughs> it's, but then the the it continued. I can see why Hughes cut it. Yeah. Because then the kidney bean falls onto his shirt. He, and you can awesome. see it, it didn't play well because he kept losing it. <laughs> yeah. And John Candy had to really work it. But John Candy does not break character yeah, and he no. makes that scene work. But it, there's too much. Well, but that was, that was a fascinating thing about reading it that they said that it, the original cut was four hours long. That there was just so much material that those two are a dynamic duo. And so I imagine there's a ton of that footage of them just playing off. They got it down to two hours, and the uh, film company still said it's too long. No one wants to see a two-hour comedy get it down to an hour and a half. So then, yeah, all these deleted scenes that have come to light now explain so much of the movie that you couldn't figure out before or things that you saw. You know, why does he have a black eye? It's not explained unless you see the deleted scenes. Why is this person breaking into the room? Oh, it's the pizza guy. That didn't get a tip. Yeah. So anyhow, that so, was yeah, fascinating. I, I, I think the final cut of the movie is perfectly done anyway. Like, yeah, I, don't, I agree. I don't think that... I think whoever cut it's, it... Yeah. I don't know if yeah, he's yeah. cut it, but like the way he... To, yeah. deleted all those scenes I'm I'm really impressed right. I'm actually more impressed now because he had to make decisions because right. there was so much good footage it proves like that Faulkner quote kill all your darlings you know when you're writing a story like no you, I have no idea what you're talking about William Faulkner is as an, he's a writer he's a smart guy he's a smart guy okay yeah he, that's all you have to say to me he won the Nobel Prize for <laughs> literature is, oh, that, is that a good prize is that what uh, you want it's it's up there <laughs> okay uh, and uh, he, yeah, one of his tips for, I, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know the source of the quote where he's in what context, but it's a line that gets quoted a lot. Kill all your darlings. So if you were in love with something, but it doesn't work, you kill it. Hmm. Cut it from the story. Okay. So that bad life advice overall, though, don't kill all the people you love. Well, maybe just as a writer metaphor. It, it depends if they're nice or not. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that this movie would have taken a dark turn if yeah. then uh, Neil killed Dell. That's true. <laughs> Any um, favorite scenes that you feel we need to talk about? I mean, there's so many. It's it starts off on a real high note with Kevin Bacon making a cameo. Mm, yep. uh, I showed that 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 scene in film class when we're talking about uh, like um, cutting about rhythm matches and editing because it, it it's cut together really well where they're running at the same pace and um, mm-hmm. they they cut on the beats perfectly yeah. and you're going oh, back yeah. and forth between them and mm. between like extreme close-ups of the two of them making eye contact. Yeah, really well done, eh? The way that it was shot and then cut is really well done. There are really there are things that if they wasn't cut right wouldn't have worked like like you see the the, the trunk there mm-hmm. that that Neil trips over and you only see it for like a split second right. but you know it's his trunk and you see it later mm-hmm. you see later the credit card where the credit card at the Braidwood Inn gets swapped. Yep. You don't you know, when I first saw that, I thought, "Oh, they swapped credit cards." But it's like an hour later where you where that actually actually finally pays off. Hmm. Owen, uh, played by uh, played, played by uh, Dylan She's Baker, real strong. <laughs> played played by Dylan Baker, yep. who is uh, uh, who I, I didn't recognize as, until later as the uh, uh, dad from Happiness. Um, you know, it's the movie actually really tails off at the end, which is fine. But like after they basically like. You know, kiss and make up in uh, in the hotel in the motel room at the end. Mm-hmm. There's the movie. There's really much else for, to happen in the right. movie. Then it's like you know the car gets impounded, but then they get in the truck and just they go home. And then you know the movie's pretty much ready to be over. Mm-hmm. I found um, it's every time I rewatch it, I find a real cozy feeling whenever yeah. they shoot the motel scenes, and I feel like. It's a. I don't. I don't understand what I'm feeling, but I'm like I would love to be there and hanging out, shooting the breeze, um, having a couple beverages, and I just. I don't know. I think that they show that there's an an intimacy mm-hmm. between the two of them, and it just it feels cool when you're just watching the motel scenes. There's mm-hmm. not much happening, but I, I like those scenes. Yeah, it's made it so. It's the first time, especially in the second motel scene, that uh, that Neil Page uh, loosens up. Has you know one of my favorite scenes is seen on the bus where he sings uh, three coins and a fountain. <laughs> yeah, and everyone stops. <laughs> and everyone stops. And so you, you, so like to get a sense of like his like you know lack of you know kind of warmth uh, and spirit. You know, it's like so you're here surrounded by lots of people. They're riding the bus. They just want to have fun. You know, they're not snobs like you. How are you gonna? Uh, you know, connect with them. I'm going to sing Three Coins in a Fountain. <laughs> uh, and then Del Griffith connects with them right away. Right. He's the everyman. He's yeah. the everyman. He's got his finger on the pulse of, of humanity, right? Yeah. And so finally, um, after kind of putting Neil Page through hell, and, you know, he does put Neil Page through hell. Look, he rents a, a card. Oh, my a, He rents a card with his credit card. It's his fault completely that the car that the car gets mm-hmm. destroyed. He, he throws, <laughs> a, he throws a cigarette in the back seat. He's the one who um, lets his uh, jacket get hooked on right. to to the uh, to the seat. Yep. He doesn't wake up Neil Page when he should have and said, "Look, can you help me?" Really, when when the first hand went down, he should have woken up Neil and said, "Look, I need help. My yep. my hands." So he doesn't do that. Uh, car goes off the road, leading leading him to go back going the wrong way. Uh, and he, they they're very lucky to be alive. And then in the car later, he's like, "Oh, you know, I, um, Mary, you were right. I smother people. I smother the poor bastard. You didn't smother him. You committed fraud. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you like you, you stole money from this guy. Like you, you know, he's mad at you for that." 
Um, but then because, you know, he can kind of go in and like joke around with him and loosen Neil up and Neil can finally be a human being. It's like, okay, it's worth it all. You know, Mm -hmm. it's worth this this disaster you've kind of taken this guy on. Hmm. Another favorite scene I have is the denouement of the car when they get pulled over. (laughs) Yeah. Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon pulls up. I love Michael McKean, like one yeah. of my favorites all the time. Yeah. And uh, there was more deleted stuff with him, but he pulls him over and do you have any idea how fast you were going? <laughs> um, actually, the speedometers melted. Um, but the radio is clear as a bell. <laughs> yeah, like John Candy to the way he just like... He sells that really, really he, well. He's, he's, a, he's a great improv artist for sure. I remember the movie, uh, Michael picking out a fourth billing or something. and like Oh, did he? And you watch the movie, you're like, he has 20 seconds of screen time. What, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Did he really have that high of a billing? Wow. It was pretty high. I remember when I first watched it, it was like it's a, it's a name in the credits. You're like, okay, this guy must have a big role. And the car scenes were just, uh, they're awesome. Like when yeah. he has to pull mm. his hands off the wheel at the end. And there's just, there's almost too much to talk about with this film because it's so well done. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the this is um, uh, the second John Hughes movie, at least, that ends on like a freeze frame of Dell, mm. um, like kind of a, looking approvingly it's on uncle buck uh uncle buck ends with someone someone's gonna look this up and tell me i'm wrong but in, in my memory uncle buck ends with john candy kind of looking at the family smiling it's like oh john candy approves of this of this hap- warm happy family hooray and that happens at the end of plant trans and automobiles as well hmm. where and that's kind of like where like you get the sense that maybe they have a gay relationship in your mind at least where um the friend is there to kind of say, look, you know, I'm okay with you having a wife. You know, you have to kind of do this. Are you saying there's more deleted scenes that haven't been released? <laughs> is that what you're I, getting at here? I'm saying that a, a lot of the pleasure of this movie comes from imagining possibilities that aren't explained. One of them is these two guys love each other in a romantic way, maybe a sexual way. He's got, the, he's got his hands between his buck cheeks. Those aren't pillows. Uh, you know, See, I would only push back on perhaps it's uh, exploring that two men can be have an intimate friendship, right. and that's like okay because it's not right. a common feature so, that you know the that a lot of these movies are um, like even Bill and Ted. That was mm-hmm. one thing I didn't reference things that didn't age well. Like there's a lot of homophobic there is, slurs, yeah. and so that it's looking at two men who aren't similar in so many ways then find a commonality and appreciate each other and you're allowed to have a close a good close friendship and it do- it doesn't have to be sexual no, in any way it, but. It, it definitely doesn't have to be and like it's that's just more of kind of i think it leaves the freudian in you it, is exploring i think you can imagine it at least you know maybe that's if you want to it, it you says could. more about you as a viewer than <laughs> than anything about the movie if you imagine Possibly, that yeah right yes, but sure. uh but you know i i thought that that was interesting but yeah like these these two guys want to be close mm-hmm. and uh but also john candy as the kind of the every man who you know has is the most human humane of everyone he kind of looks at you at the end and says i approve of what you have you know you mm-hmm. have a wife and a family and this beautiful home that's awesome. Way to go, buddy. You, you you achieved that. That's great. And those two John Hughes, Hughes movies basically end in the same way mm. with him uh, giving the thumbs up in that way. Mm. I think like because John Candy is like someone who is, is always like purely human. Like he's 
you know, he's, he's very much like a warts and all character yep. in everything yep. he, he does. Mm -hmm. So you kind of are like looking for his approval because he's more in touch of, in touch mm. with what it means right. to be human yeah, than, yeah. than anyone else. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And is that his real mustache is my question. It's, he doesn't have a mustache in many movies. I think in Who's Harry Crumb? follow Crown, his wife on Instagram. I wonder if she would, uh, she would answer that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask. I think she'd be disturbed if you asked that. Maybe. But is it, I just kept looking at his mustache and thinking that, that can't be real. It's, although, yeah, I guess it's, it's so uncommon to see him that way that uh, maybe that's why. It looks fake because that's not the image we have of him. Anything else before we wrap up planes, trains, and automobiles? Um, you know, this is a good 80s movie, too, because it's this, you know, a send-up a bit of, of the corporate world, you know, mm -hmm. where, yep. you know, this is kind of the, the, the era of, you know, this is of uh, the rise of corporate culture, and you know, Neil Page is very much a part of that. And he's kind of become a bot, and he needs mm. the the human being who's you know, the man on the street, the salesman. I guess that's the one maybe criticism or critique I have of John Hughes is that um, as a '80s kid and as an '80s teenager, I have no connection with. Sorry, '90s teenager. I've got no connection with that corporate kind of inflated economy that is like ubiquitous through. Hughes films because it's all like high level wealthy people yeah mm. so like that whole scene with Neil in the uh the boardroom and stuff like that yeah I just I didn't I didn't understand that that lifestyle anyway yeah I mean that it is a strange thing that you know Neil Page I, you don't know how long often he sees his family but mm -hmm. once a month maybe I don't I, they, I don't think they say but that's like kind of just a thing some guys do. And it's like, well, that's what you do if you want to, you know, yeah, uh, get, ahead. get ahead in the corporate world. And like that is bananas. Yeah. And maybe that's a subtle reference of, you know, he's made to sit through nothing. Right. Like there's literally nothing happening and misses his flight, which then leads to this whole chaos experience. And why? Because of that. Mm -hmm. That was what prompted it. But it brought the two guys together. Yeah. And we're grateful for it. I am. <laughs> Can I give you one trivia question? I like trivia oh, yeah. questions. Yep. Um, Kevin Bacon makes a cameo in this film. What um, film did John Candy make a cameo in for Kevin Bacon? Home Alone. Mm. Oh, for Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I answered it before you even finished the question. When he was Gus in Home Alone. Going uh, once. Was it uh, She's Having a Baby? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, he oh, he's yeah. at the end of that film i don't remember i i just know they're that going I, over names they're going over names for babies oh and then he comes on and gives his idea of of names like as himself he's it's like, oh it's john candy hey what are you doing here? kind of like that okay. yeah yeah so mm. it was like a scene at the end good job i'm impressed that's the only kevin bacon movie <laughs> directed by john hughes i think <laughs> Exactly. So I didn't even nailed know it. That was right. You nailed it. Okay, that wraps it up. Uh, we're going to uh, take a short break. We are going to tabulate the votes. Who do you think won? What do you think won? What do you Plans, think won? Trans and What do you think won? Bill and Ted. Yeah, for me, it's either it's between Coming to America, Bill and Ted, or Planes, Trains. What are you saying? What do you? I think the stains are going to win. <laughs> Take it away. I'm going to say the stains didn't get one vote. In the in the 80s, the underdog always wins. Mm. So oh, that's you know, a good point. I think that you, you you can't count them out. 
The stain is a stain on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back after this short break. Hey, oh, you've reached Cinema Time Capsule. This is Dr. Retro Joel. Oh, hey, this is Child of the A's Jeff. Just leave us a message after the beep. Hey there, Cinema Time Capsule. This is Mark from Mark and Simon Soundtrack Show in Indy 1015 in Hamilton. So thank you very much for asking for my feedback on what happens to be one of my all-time favorite movies, and that would be Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. A lot of people love this movie and for no particular reason. It's, it's, it's silly. It's dopey. It's about two morons who find themselves uh, trying to travel through time to complete a history report by kidnapping uh, significant people, historical figures, and you know, hilarity ensues. Beyond all that, it, it's a very 80s movie. I think that's a safe way to put it. And it works well. Mostly because, and this is one of, why it is one of my favorite movies, is that it has a great philosophy behind it. Be excellent to each other. And I think we all can agree the world would be a better place if we were all just a little more excellent to each other. Yeah, hi. Uh, Cinema Time Capsule. My name's Rochelle, and I am calling to complain about your choices for the upcoming buddy movie showing. Um... How exactly is Coming to America a buddy movie? If you were going to pick a Eddie Murphy movie, the obvious choice is Trading Places. Actually, there is no other choice. I mean, sure, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy took a while to become buddies in that movie, but when they did, obviously you made a mistake here, and I think it needs to be corrected immediately. We are back with the results. Thanks to everyone uh, who voted. And uh, we're excited to tell you how these rated. I'm going to start at the top with the number one film. Oh, oh, I have no idea. The Fabulous Stains. And how many votes did it get? 100% of the vote, Jeff. 100% of nothing is nothing. (laughs) How many votes did it get? I want you to tell everyone right now. Okay. So we're starting at the bottom. Here's a film I never saw before and I picked for a film. Talk about Buddies. We already established uh, why. Okay. And... Okay. So... uh, Let's and 100% with... of people are in agreement, agreement with you on this one. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. We, we had a fairly fall, uh, a smaller turnout this time, so obviously you know, one of the films has to fall off. Okay, so, so that, that was the one. And how many votes did it get? Uh, well, well, let's move on to fifth, So 100% fifth place. of you agree <laughs> that it, it, it gets no votes. Did it get zero? It got zero. Jeez. Why are you upset about that? Oh, it should. It's a good film. It should, I think someone should show it some love. Yeah. Okay, so in the independent of music these, category, yeah. it will do well. Yeah, of these, it made sense. Why? Okay, yeah, it didn't. It didn't really fit. I did my best. I feel vindicated. But, anyway, moving yeah. on. Okay, so in fifth place, because if you don't get a vote, you don't really get a place. Uh, so fifth place with four point two percent is Ishtar. Okay, eh. that's. I mean, it was it was coined the worst film of the eighties. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 an acquired taste, I will say that. Yeah, it's dangerous business. So, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm glad it got some traction. Right. So then at in fourth, 8.3% Spies Like Us. Okay, so that, you know, it not doubled. Yeah, I mean, that's where it should be. Um I know mm-hmm. I know for a fact Dr. Marco voted for it, so I feel 
vindicated on that. I knew it wouldn't have that much because it was, you know, it's very topical mm-hmm. about Cold Wars and stuff. Okay, fine. That's Literally good. Cold Wars. Then in third place, 10.8% coming to America. I'm surprised by that. I thought that would be higher. Mm-hmm. I thought that could have gone neck and neck with um, planes, trains, and automobiles. So we're down to two. Okay. Yep. 25.8, Bill and Ted. I think that's solid. It's a quarter of the vote. I think that's solid. A lot of people like yeah. it. It's it stood the test of time. For me, everyone is low. Like Everyone should be getting about 90% of the vote. <laughs> um, weren't you a mathematician that's, in university? Apparently Didn't you not. get it? That's why. He, that's why he switched to film. That's right. <laughs> this guy's ridiculously smart, by the way. It's sick so. But okay, it, it, okay. So the winner, yeah, uh, with fifty point four percent of the oh, vote, okay. is planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, that right. is like a runaway, a majority. Um, wow. So I don't think we've ever had a guest on that has um, won. The cinema time capsule. Actually, this is breaks your streak. I think I always all the pick other ones. the top rated movies, but not this time. And I would like to congratulate you, uh, Professor Springer, Hi, for you. having the pulse. Thanks, Charlie. Of <laughs> the pulse of retro viewers. Yeah, I got my finger on the pulse of today's wow. uh, old uh, people. Old people. Today's old people. Are, are your fans all old? Well, no, there's some young folks. We've got yeah. some young really? folks. Yeah, Belanges. Oh yeah, we have some children that yeah. have have um, yeah. called okay. in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. But I, I think, well, since you lost this technically, Jeff, then I, maybe you're congratulating the professor on being our final guest because obviously that means you <laughs> may it. not win. Well, I've never <laughs> finished with zero votes, so that's now a dubious <laughs> honor held by our other co-hosts. <laughs> Picking the movies that you hate. Has, has, has You've a, never heard of. Has a movie ever gotten zeros the no, first time? No, no. That was way off the board. But I suspect if we had went with the original choice of With Nail and I, it would have been neck and neck two zero <laughs> vote movies. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. So. With Nail and I, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel like an 80s movie to me when I watched it. It mm-hmm. felt, I don't know, just... It was set in the 60s. And it's British as well, uh, you know. Like I, I think that you know, Brits weren't as like, kind of embarrassingly '80s as the Americans were. Mm. Well, and that's what we. Uh, I wonder if British people would watch that and go, "Oh my gosh, this totally takes me back to that time." Right. Whereas we barely engaged with it. Yeah. So then, if we know North America '80s, and they would have a different version of it, maybe. Yeah, and that movie's set in the '60s, mm. so you know. It also feels sure. for that reason. Yep, yep. What are you going to say? Uh, well, I could be off base here. But probably. I Well, probably. You're right. I think British people think the 80s only happened in America. Like, they went <laughs> straight from the 70s to the 90s, mm. and the 80s only happened here. Like, they didn't have the same Cold War issues, I don't think. Like, the, the well, Americans right. had but they also Politically, they did, but, like, yeah. socially, not right. as much. I could be. We're getting off topic, yeah, but they also them, yeah. banned a heck of a lot of movies um, um, from yeah. the 80s. Really? Yeah, it's yeah. called the Video Nasty Stage in, the, hmm. in Britain, and they banned a, a that's, ton of that's films. That's true, yeah. Hmm. So, and you are uh, British. Well, I I'm, I'm, was born here, but my parents are British, and I have visited there. And I also recently saw a Facebook group that I want to join because I want to share our podcast with them, but it's all 
it's all uh, it's based in the UK. It's all about the eighties. It's all American eighties. Mm. They're kind of obsessed with it. Some of them, I think, because some of it was banned, so it was like, oh, taboo, yeah. and right. so you know, yeah. it's still new to them in some way. Well, They're like engaged in but, terms yeah. of engaging with it, and when back then they couldn't. Yeah. Well, thank you to uh, Professor Springer for um, bringing up the IQ of uh, both uh, Dr. Retro and myself mm-hmm. and the listeners. I feel more uh, intelligent because of your presence, and um, I look forward to learning from you in the future. You know, you can come into my class and give a book report uh, anytime. Provided uh, you have a time machine. Cinema time yeah. capsule rules! <laughs> and then drop the mic. It's been my pleasure. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, us too. Thank you. So thanks everyone for joining and watching with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Find us on all the streaming platforms. Send it to your friends and send us an email. Maybe send us an audio message of what your favorite film from this group or another is. Uh, You can always message us at cinematimecapsule at gmail.com. So until next time, we'll see you at the movie. During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get delayed. And some get (laughs) Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, they're the Martin family. Paramount Pictures presents... Steve Martin. You ever been to Hawaii? Yeah. You see Don Ho while you were there? See the second show. That's the best one. Is that right? Yeah. John Candy. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. In a new film by John Hughes. Plane, trains, and automobiles. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hello game, hello game. This has been the Cinema Time Capsule Podcast. For more information about Cinema Time Capsule, please email us at cinematimecapsule at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Simon Wielden. The theme song was performed by Bruce Turney and Simon Wielden. Thanks for listening.